Look, welcome. We're talking pet chat. Cheryl Shaw, so lovely to have you as always. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. Dr. David Tabret, lovely to have you back. You've been away for a few weeks, so it's nice to see mm-hmm. your face. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Sarah. But look, you have been trumped today. And I Have am I? sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. But Cheryl's brought her beautiful oh. daughter Zara in and she is looking after the new puppy, Mystique. Oh, my goodness. We've gone crazy here. We're scratching behind the ears. We're doing smoochy woochy woochy. She's oh. just Mystique. so cute. Mystique. Mystique the shapeshifter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, You're very David. clever. Oh, she's just beautiful, though, she's Cheryl. Gorgeous. She's a standard poodle. We've put a photo up on Facebook. How old is she? She's just nine weeks old, so she's still a very young puppy. Ooh. And sleeping through the night, may I say. We put her to bed at seven and we wake up at quarter to seven in the morning. Oh, what a good girl. Ear, she earplugs is. are great, aren't they? <laughs> 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 they block everything. They block the trains, the planes, and the, and wi- the puppy sound. The puppies. <laughs> oh, that is just so funny. But she's such a lovely dog. Now, look, is that what we're talking about today, Cheryl? Because you've worn the brooch that also has the puppy. Is it all about yeah. puppies? It is about puppies, and it's not not um, really about the puppies so much as about the cost of pet ownership. So the cost of buying a dog and then what comes after that. Okay, and then, David, what are we chatting about a little later on? Well, I showed you a photo of being at the Gold Coast and I was up there, but it wasn't... I did have a little bit of a break, but I went to a conference and I want to actually catch up on some very important things that we learnt while I was away at the conference. It's the latest and the greatest. Got our beautiful guest into that. Oh, Mystique's crashed out. She's our eight-week-old puppy, Cheryl? Nine. Nine. Oh, they sleep so much, don't they? They really are just like having a baby. But look, we... <laughs> so I'm a little clucky in here, sorry. But we... Oh, dear. Brian, you're in Charlestown and you want to talk about chickens. Nah, what happened? I've got a couple of grandkids. They don't know where eggs come from. <laughs> and I want to get a couple of bantams, right? And I want a rooster, but I don't want one that crows. What do I do about it? Mm. <laughs> Good luck on that <laughs> one. I think most roosters crow. Now. <laughs> yeah, but is there, is there any way I can stop it? Because the neighbours won't like it. <laughs> no. 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 No, no there are. I mean, people have got various strategies I'll talk about. Now... A very long time ago, there was uh, a surgical procedure described. Um, yep. It's brutal and uh, barbaric and is, may well be illegal, and I don't think anybody would do it. Um, so in most cases now, we just say we sh- uh, aren't allowed to have roosters in suburban areas. Yeah. Um, so the question is, do they want to know where eggs come from or do they want to know yeah, where baby chickens come from? Both, mate, because these little kids think eggs come out of a carton in the fridge. And, uh, and now yeah, the, next, the next thing you're going to have to do is buy a cow and milk them. And <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, no. No, I would just no. probably go with the uh, chickens and just let them see the eggs. Uh, you don't need a rooster for that, and um, you'll probably find by the time you go to all that trouble, uh, they'll be happy with uh, the information and the lessons that they've learned. There is another thing that you could do. You could get some quail eggs. You can actually buy fertilised quail eggs and let them yeah. experience the um, the quails so being you've got born. To actually, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. You know, brood them and yeah, keep so, them in a yeah, little incubator. Little incubator. You can buy those eggs and um, just have an incubator. They're not terribly expensive, and then they can experience the you know the little um, chicks coming out, and then you've got some little quails. There you go. Uh, 
Okay, thank you. And you the show always has a great exhibition as well each year, the, the farm there. So mm, there's always yeah. lots of little chickens People there to too. Talk to. Mm, yeah. Really good. Yep. All right, Brian, well, thank you so much for your call. Now, Cheryl, we're talking about puppies. So we're going to have a quick break. And when we come back, we're looking at the cost associated as well, because that's, that's a big thing that we often forget about. It is. It really is. And it's not just that initial price of the dog. You've got a commitment for life. Mm. Uh, we've got Paul from Morissette. Welcome to the show. You, you've got a crowing rooster. Uh, I've got a bit of assistance for somebody with a crowing rooster. Okay. Hit it, Paul. Uh, uh, Dr. Carl, I think it was, uh, came up with a solution. He said, have you noticed that when a rooster wants to crow, he generally flaps his wings, stretches his neck as high as he can go, and lets out a bellicose crow? Mm. All you've got to do is pull him in a box at night or, or in, a, in a hen house where the, the rungs are close enough to the ceiling that when he wants to stretch his neck up and crow, he's going to hit his head on the top of the box. <laughs> and, 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 and not that it does him any harm, but he can't reach up and flap his wings and stretch his neck uh, to the point where he'll crow. Oh. It's a simple solution. Oh, Dr. Carl. Uh, no, 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 surgery, no surgery, no pain. There you go. Um, there you go. There you go, Brian. Give that a bit of a whirl. Yeah. But don't don't um, tell your neighbours it was our advice if it doesn't work, OK? <laughs> <laughs> don't, leave, don't leave the poor sucker in there all day. Just put him in there at night. There yeah. you go. All right. I think we're going to get some good advice here, Thank Sarah. you, Paul. Appreciate it. I think we are too. Let's go to Scott now uh, from Belmont North. You've got some more advice about crowing roosters? Yes. Hi. How are you? Oh, we're well. Have you been listening to Dr Carl as well? I have been in the past, and I was going to suggest what your last caller just suggested um, as a solution for a crowing rooster. Mm. So a small enough uh, hen house, small enough box that they can't extend their wings and can't stretch their neck out. That seems to be a suggested answer for the problem for Brian. Yes, it does seem to work. I've had many a rooster over the years and many a complaint from neighbours and had a few dealings with the council over it. <laughs> oh. And the solution was to just get the birds to not crow, and it's not an issue. And and it worked for you, though? Yes, every Scott, time. Well done. Oh, okay. Except for a, a rooster, a big American rooster I had that just wouldn't stop crowing. Well, he had that's... to go to a farm. <laughs> mm. Kind of typical, but there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> good, good oh, job. Thank you very Thanks, much. Scott. And I'm assuming Reg from Rutherford was going to say the same thing about roosters as well because he's he's gone. So I'd say that that's the we've advice got... that we've, we've heard. All right, Brian. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Okay. Carl's really helped out here. Thank you, Dr. Carl. He's not in the room. I'm here. Oh, oh. sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Dr. David Tablet. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we're talking pet chat. Four nine two one six two one six. David, what are we going to chat about today? Uh, something I do know about mm. is um, what's the latest and greatest in um, veterinary science. I've just been away at the premier veterinary conference for advancement of uh, science. Take that, Dr. Carl Zielinski. You weren't there, was he? I didn't see his shirt. Um, <laughs> however, really interesting because in the stream that I was sitting, there was like 22 different streams, which is fantastic. Uh, the stream I was sitting, we actually had a human um, trauma surgeon wow. come along and talk to us, which wow. was really good, one of, one of the topics. And uh, that was on um, some of the aspects of uh, when patients, like our veterinary patients, like human patients, undergo some degree of trauma, there are uh, associated 
uh, effects on blood clotting. And you might think, yeah, of course, you get trauma, blood clots, but it's actually the opposite. Sometimes your blood does not clot. And so this is a really interesting area because it's interesting to me because we start to see dogs after trauma because people actually recognise straight away. You know, if your dog's hit by a car, it'd be, I think probably years ago, some people would have gone, well, he'd probably be all right. I'll, you know, let him sit in the backyard or... See how he goes. See how he goes. And I think people are going, hang on a sec, we don't know what's going on inside. Um, you know, they know about things like ultrasound. Yes. They know about these. So they want to find out. And then we're starting to see these patients earlier, which means we get a chance to save their lives at a much earlier stage, which is great. But it also means we need to be ready to deal with these sort of problems. So I'm very pleased to enjoy those part those lectures. The other thing, um, Sarah, that uh, was interesting was I was involved in teaching CPR to uh, veterinary patients and actually tra- um, not patients <laughs> to, to vets and vet nurses and we trained up another um, 16 instructors this course so all over Australia and New Zealand we've now got more people out there being able to train veterinary staff in the correct methods of CPR we don't have time on this show to actually go into why why weren't we doing that before but it is actually echoing what's happened in the human field is that there used to be 15 20 different ways to do cpr and now we follow guidelines which actually are most effective and and is that something that um people at home can learn as well and administer if if required um so there are certainly some aspects where i think we could improve the level of knowledge in the public about how to how to perform CPR. I think a lot of that training comes through, you know, human CPR. Yeah. However, the the reasons why dogs and cats have cardiac arrest or respiratory arrest versus why people have it are different. Uh-huh. And so, for instance, uh, in you know, you start to see the um, AEDs, the electrical defibrillators, in shopping centres, um, you know, in service stations, in airports, that train stations, that sort of thing. The mechanism of um, cardiac arrest in people being different means we can't really apply those techniques to dogs. Um, And at the moment, we don't have a curriculum to teach people. We can certainly start that. And there is research happening to improve how we might roll that out. Yeah, that would definitely be Mm. interesting. Okay, we're going to chat uh, now to Rick from Warners Bay. Rick, your question is, can you and when should you worm your chickens? That's right. Yeah. So I'm just wondering. Um, I've, I've only got. I had. Uh, I've got five um, chickens from my granddaughter's school, which are only a week old, and they're about uh, eight weeks old this week. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know: Will I? Can I worm them now, or should I've already done it, or should, what? What age will I sort of worm them? So there's a there's a couple of different um, preparations that we use, and so it sometimes it depends on what the actual compound is. But yes, you should be worming them. And um, the other advice with these guys is that you also need to get their uh, faeces tested and look for parasites because it's not just worms. Uh, We also need to worry about some intracellular parasites that they can get. And and they actually require, if, you know, we start to find these other parasites there, they have a different treatment. So it's not just worms. Yeah, and okay. So yeah. the best, best idea there is to talk to your local vet and say, can I bring in a sample? You don't have to have it from one 
you know, just one chicken. You can yeah. do what's called a pooled sample where you just, you know, collect a group of droppings. Doesn't Because whatever happens, if you find it in one, you're going to need to treat all of them anyway. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've, all, I've always had chickens except... Excuse me, but the last uh, six months or so, I haven't had any. I've completely cleaned and sterilised the whole pen, yeah. and I really wasn't going to get any more till later. But uh, the granddaughter school, they hatch them, and they, she just said, "Yeah, Poppy will have them," and I, I ended up with five. <laughs> but uh, to see that wouldn't be immunised or anything. But I've bought that medicated chick feed for them. And uh, they've only been out in the pen the last week. I had them inside with, in the garage with the heated thing and all that. Uh, um, but yeah. out of the five, three of them have gone already because um, they turned out to be roosters. Oh. <laughs> I've just got the, I've just got the two. I don't know. One's black and one's a light browny colour. But uh, I don't even know what breed they are. But I'm just wondering, uh, you know, like should I just? I've got worming stuff that I've had from me chooks before yep. that you put in the water and that. So I'm just wondering, where, should I have done it by now or will I do it as you said? Do, do it now. Do is, yeah, do yeah. it now and then uh, get a sample tested, um, probably before and after. And as I said, you also want to be on the lookout. Usually the medicated feeds contain what's called a coccidiostat, which is actually the disease we're looking for. Um, and it doesn't completely get rid of it, but it can sometimes be in the soil and everything as well. So worthwhile to follow up. Thanks, yeah. Rick. And we've got Anne on the line. Anne, how can we help you today? Um, Penny. Oh, hi, Penny. Hi. Yes, I've got a couple of rescue dogs. They're about nine years old now. Mm-hmm. And um, I we back onto bushland where we live in Dudley, and uh, obviously we, we have concerns about paralysis ticks. Um, and for, since we've had them, we've been using the Advantix, you know, the two, the fortnightly treatment from about, uh, about now through to February. But I'm just wondering if there's a better option for us, maybe in a tablet form or, um, tube mm-hmm. form that we, you know, it could be administered like monthly or something because it's quite, you yep. know, two dogs, it gets quite expensive and, you know, to have to do it every two weeks or so. Yeah, well, look, now's starting to head into the period where we should be thinking about what we're going to do for paralysis tick as we as the weather will start to warm up over the next few months. Um, however, saying that, certainly in Newcastle and particularly Dudley and those coastal regions, we do see paralysis tick all, all year round and the recommendation is that you keep your dog on treatment uh, prevention for all year round. So... Over the last few years, we've seen a really interesting trend in the number of patients that are being treated for paralysis tick, and this is because of a newer class of compounds called isoxazolines, and uh, there's two in that group that we're uh, familiar with, is Brevecto and Nexgard. They're both... um, um, I always get these mixed up, so I'm going to say one's a monthly, one's three monthly, and they do provide um, flea and tick prevention. The interesting trend that we're seeing is how effective they are so i remember i'm old enough to remember back when frontline came on the market which was i can't even say probably 25 years ago or something and it knocked the number of um dogs that were getting uh, poisoned you know by a reasonable number maybe 30 40 percent a lot of it depends on compliance i mean if you don't put a preventative on it's not going to make a difference Um, But what we're seeing with these compounds is that it's actually uh, reducing the number of dogs poisoned by, you know, up to 60, 70%. They're so effective. Um, And 
in our hospital, I haven't looked at the numbers last year, but we were treating about three or 400 patients a year with tick poisoning, and it wow. wouldn't surprise me if they've dropped by at least half. And I do know at the Gold Coast, one of the clinics up there, the emergency centre, they saw a 60% drop. Huge. Huge drop. huge. Yeah, we're talking thousands of dogs' lives saved. That is very Because cool. of these products. So... Now, price-wise, you're probably going to find it all ends up around about the same and maybe even a little bit more. But when you're using something that's that effective and it reduces the risk of tick poisoning um, and, you know, treatment for tick poisoning can cost anywhere from, well, $500, $800 up, upwards. Mm. And, you know, it could be tens of thousands of dollars if their uh, dog requires uh, intensive care for a prolonged period of time. So... It's a good investment, and um, I do recognise having two dogs, you know, those costs you need to watch, but it's part of looking after them. So, Lynn from East Gresford, you've got um, an issue with a barking dog? Yeah. Um, there's a dog, our neighbour's dog, it absolutely loathes me. Anytime it sees me, it barks. It barks at strangers, but it doesn't bark at my husband. What can I do? Oh. Nothing. Mm. <laughs> oh, give, give me a second, Lynn. <laughs> I'm to draw breath here. Uh, it yes. just loathes me. And I've got a little dog myself. Yes. And it's friendly to my dog, but it hates me. Well, you shouldn't poke it through the fence. Well, I don't. (laughs) What had happened, when it was a little pup, I dared bark at it, and it's never (laughs) forgotten. (laughs) Obviously, it's really afraid of your breed. I, yeah. I, I think I think we might have struck. The That's problem. the problem. See, I knew no, there was something. We need to we need to help Lynn. Yes, we need to help Lynn. Well, what, so, what can she do? Give it bones? No, there's, there's a no, no. There's a couple of approaches you could use. Like, first of all, just just have a think about when the dog barks at you. Uh, I ignore it. Yeah, if there's things that you're doing, carrying. Uh, wearing uh, anything that could be visually or uh, the dog's picking up a scent that could uh, remind it or or irritate it in some way Um, because there are certain triggers that dogs will respond to and the reason why I want you to think about that is are there times when the dog sees you and doesn't bark? No. No. Okay. All right. Um, and um, I, I, it just barked at me then because I was next to the fence picking herbs. Right, okay. herbs. And it was barking at me and I just ignore it because I thought that was the best thing. Um, there's a couple other dogs there and they come and say hello to me. Yes. And so I just ignore it. Some dogs, barking has a lot of different uh, meanings. And for some dogs, it's like, I'm so excited to see you and this is fantastic. And other dogs, it's like, hang on, I've got to let everybody know that you're nearby because you're a bit strange and so on. So they can actually communicate in lots of different ways with their bark. Uh, it's, tr- it's tried to bite me several times, so it, oh. it loathes me. It oh. loathes. Oh, well, it's uh, it's. I think it's Lynn's complex. trying to steal I, the herbs. I would... I don't, I don't want to give out too much behaviour advice over the radio because it's so complex. 
and um, I think we need to be a little bit careful. But um, one of the things I would um, suggest is probably having some dog treats in your pocket. And because that way, you know, when he barks, you might... I'm not going to suggest that you just simply hand it to him. I don't want you to get bitten. Um, and I would need to actually see the dog and just find out how that relationship's working. But if the dog actually sees you and thinks, oh, there's a chance of a treat, he'll probably settle down. Okay. But how, how you actually go about doing that, I think, is where the difficulty comes. And this is where it would be good to get someone... Uh, now, the problem is that it's a neighbour's dog. Yeah. is What's the etiquette there? Do you need to check with the neighbours if you can give well, treats this, to this is the thing. It's like mm. depends on the relationship and, well, you know, how far do you go. I wonder if Lynn's wearing a hat because my uh, dog I doesn't wonder. like hats. Well, it happens all the time, so I can't imagine a hat would do it. Yeah, but. okay. Well, it's an interesting one. 49216216. Some good advice there, though. I think, yeah, Lynn needs little, little some doggy treats and... Yeah, and, and that, maybe speaking with the owner, they may be able to give some kibble to her that is part of the dog's is, diet. Yeah. And that way right. it might be something that they can work together with and try to get that, um, you know, that, nice puppy, that puppy just to understand that, you know, Lynn isn't a problem to it. And if it doesn't work, um, Brian's got some roosters <laughs> to get rid of. Sorry, it wasn't but Lynn, right. no, it was no more barking at the dog. That's probably scaring it a, a little bit. Yeah, don't that's, bark at the dog. Yeah. Elizabeth in Brankston, how can we help you today? Hello, I was just listening to your show and heard the um, the advice about next guard and um, those those type of things for chicks. And I've just got a bit of a question because I've, I've got a couple of Chesapeake Bay Retrievers and I've been mm-hmm. using next guard on those for, oh, ever since it came out, really. Mm-hmm. But there's some stuff that's come up, um, and it's, a lot of this has come up on Facebook and my viewers, it does, and I don't know what to take for real and what not. But uh, apparently the uh, the American Federal Drug Administration is putting out warnings about, is it isoxazoline? I can't even pronounce it. Isoxazoline? Mm. Yes, as causing neurological problems in some dogs. And I was wondering if you knew anything about that. Yeah. Um, so uh, in Australia we have... Um the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority, who mm-hmm. are the regulatory body. Um, and so when we get any uh, episodes of adverse drug reactions and so on, they get reported through those, and that's an independent regulatory body. It's fairly very comprehensive, um, and all the uh, manufacturers are required to submit reports that come through. So any, okay. any instances of um, suspected or confirmed otherwise... Uh, drug reactions or any problems at all should go through those channels and that becomes the official record and that's actually what then the companies and the government are able to say okay look this is a problem or it isn't a problem let's go back and look at the evidence and um, so in America the uh, FDA I'm not even sure if it's the FDA that does the uh, veterinary products but anyway um, the there are a lot over there, they're a lot more ready to put labels on things regarding any possible reaction. Now, um, I don't want to bring up a straw man argument, but I'll give you an example. So years and years ago, there some arthritis medication came out and the label in um, America was adjusted, and this is not um, a wives' tale or anything, it was adjusted because dogs actually were receiving this medication they were feeling so much better and there were instances where dogs who previously really couldn't run, they ran onto the road and got hit by a car. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. No, and this, and this yeah. is true. This was actually reported as being um, in the 
statistics as an adverse drug reaction. Okay. okay. So now that's... I, I don't want to raise too many people's hackles, but there is a difference between Australia and the United States in this respect. Um, so in Australia, then, the incidence of adverse drug reactions are reported through that. What we do know is that dogs with neurological disease, any medication should be used cautiously. Yep. Um, and I think in uh, these particular products, bec- we need to also consider, you know, what other medications they're on, uh, any other triggers and so on, and then um, make sure they're reported accurately. There hasn't been an upsurge in uh, instances. I haven't seen uh, over the last, you know, however many years that the newer products, isoxazalines, are out. I haven't not seen, I cannot think of one dog that I've seen um, out of thousands and thousands that we've seen an adverse reaction. But they, they would occur for sure because statistically that they would just have to. Um, and then the other thing is with uh, neurological disease or seizures, there has been advice to say, look, if your dog is known to have seizures, probably best to you know, speak to your vet about what might be the safest product. Um, because we we want to be a little bit cautious. But we would do that if we were putting them on any product, okay? So the other thing is I'd mention is literally thousands of dogs' lives saved. Oh, absolutely. I guarantee you that. I haven't stopped stopped using it because even if there was a slight risk there, I thought the risk of the tick is a lot worse than the risk of the neurological problem. So I've I've kept on using it. But it was all the information that has come up has been to do with the American... Drug yeah, administration. Yeah. I've heard nothing from Australia. I was just wondering if there was any issues with it that I should be aware of. But um, that's yeah. great. You've answered the, my question very well. Thank the you. other thing is that in the United States is they don't have deadly ticks like like we have in Australia. So when they talk about oh you know it's too dangerous to put your dog on this medication or whatever, that's because there's no nothing out there that's deadly that's going to kill your dog in Australia, of course. And we're quite proud of our deadly venomous creatures. Uh, we do have the Ixodes holocyclus, the paralysis tick, and it will kill dogs if you do not use a prevention. All right, really good stuff. Uh, thank you very much. Now, just before we go, we've got three dogs of the week this week. Two of them go together. It's the super fun pair, Jack and Lily. They're bonded Labradors, but they must stay together and be adopted to their new home as a set. Jack is four years old, full of love, easygoing. Lily is three years old and super intelligent. And Lily adores Jack, can't live without him. Uh, They've lived together since Jack was a puppy. Jack is a little overweight. You know, Labradors love their food, so that's something you will need to, uh, you know, work on. But you've got to check out their picture. We've got a chocolate and a black lab just beautiful and our other dog of the week is Amira. Amira is a three month old Mastiff cross puppy she's a beautiful girl, very laid back loves cuddles and playtime, and has been very well socialised with other puppies and gets along with everyone she meets if you want more details head to our website 2NURFM.com I think that's all we've got time for today. Cheryl Shaw, Dr. David Tabret, thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. you. Zara, thank you for coming in and bringing in the beautiful Mystique who is um, sound asleep. She's blended <laughs> she's in. Been, she's been a dream dog. She's blended in with the furniture. <laughs> she really has. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.